Shalom, everyone. This is Zion Hebraic Congregation with me, Luke Tanner. This week's Shabbat message is from the book of John, chapter 6. Uh, feel free to check us out on our website. Uh, you can find archived Shabbat messages there. You can find a blog post by my dad. You can subscribe to those blogs in the little subscription box where you can put your email in. Uh, you'll also find links to our social media accounts, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, we post stuff there on a weekly and sometimes daily basis. Um, and feel free to subscribe to our spot messages on your favorite podcast platform providers such as Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Play, um, Sound, SoundCloud, Stitcher, whatever. And uh, feel free to give us a review if you would like. That would be awesome. And also our theme music is by Evan Shaw. And he's at evanshawmusic.com. Enjoy. Mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does not me away. For soon is the day when we see your face on the mount of your grace and zeal. Okay, Shabbat Shalom, everybody. If you want to go to John. The book of John. We're going to be in um, chapter 6. So if you remember from going through chapters 1 through 5, the book of John is, a a lot of what Yeshua is making the point about is his relation to the Father and how he and the Father are one. The only thing that he says is what the Father says and that his works are coherent and consistent with the word from the Father and that... um, if you believe in the Father, you would believe in Him. If you accept Him, you accept the Father. And if you don't accept Him, you don't accept the Father. And uh, He's going to use this continuing narrative as we go through chapter 6 to kind of reiterate a lot of this and how um, what I want us to pay attention to is the use, how He uses and talks about and how the Word talks about the Word and what the Word is and how it's life and it's spirit and... Uh, so it, it kind of builds on uh, these, these concepts and these thoughts that are rooted in the Tanakh. So you have to understand what happened in the wilderness with the manna uh, from heaven and how God provided for his people uh, through his word and, uh, and, and giving them the bread of life and how that's compared to word and compared to Yeshua and what he says. And um, So it's really important that you kind of keep these things in, your, in the back of your mind as you go through because uh, Yeshua uses these things as teaching points to explain you know, what he's doing and what he's all about and how the Tanakh prophesied of his coming and, um, and all of his miracles and all these things that they did pointed to his, uh, his uh, being the Messiah, I guess to put it. 
bluntly. All right, so let's pray, and we'll, we'll get into this. We're just going to go through the chapter and then talk about it kind of as we go. So and hopefully it's a blessing. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this Shabbat, for this wonderful day, to be here, to read your word, to learn from it and study. I just hope that it's a blessing and a ministry to uh, everyone, to me, um, and I just thank you for it. And uh, just ask that you would uh, imprint your word into our hearts and minds, that we would uh, live it out for, for you and be a blessing. In Yeshua's name I pray. Amen. All right, so, chapter 6, verse 1. After these things, Yeshua went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a great multitude followed him, because they saw his miracles when he did when they were, um, which he did on them that were uh, deceased. Uh, real quick, this is totally unrelated, but um, one of my clients has friends from Israel, and they live up in the Galilee, and they came over, and we were talking with them, and uh, they call it Lake Kinneret or Kinnereth, and uh, he's like, she's like, you know the, the lake that Yeshua, Yeshua walk on the lake? And she said Yeshua, she didn't say Jesus, so I was like, oh man, wow, yeah. It was just neat to like, someone straight out of Israel being like, you know the lake Yeshua walk on? <laughs> it was really cool. Shabbat alone, guys. And so anyway, and we're going to read about that because he walks on the lake in this chapter, so... Uh, verse 3, And Yeshua went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. When Yeshua then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he said unto Philip, When shall we buy bread, that these may eat? This he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do, which I find interesting. It's like, why did he pick on Philip? I guess there was something going on in and through Philip's heart and life that Yeshua knew he needed to uh, point out and work on and uh, test him. And so I find, I find that fascinating that, you know, God doesn't just like zap us with all the faith and the, and the perseverance and the uh, pre-built in ability to be able to weather everything and have all the information. It's like he kind of drags us through tough situations and makes us suffer and struggle and stumble so that we can figure out what he's trying to teach us, essentially. Like, he doesn't make it easy for us, and he doesn't automatically zap us. It's like when I um, got married and was such a model husband and, you know, knew that I was going to just raise a, an amazing family. I just, in my mind, I don't know what I was thinking, or I had no concept otherwise. I just kind of assumed, keep in mind, Philip. That's where I'm trying to go with all this. Uh, I just assumed, like, magically you turn into the good father and husband, and you're responsible, and you're uh, trustworthy, and you're reliable. Well, what I quickly realized is I was the same stupid, selfish, uh, ignorant, you know, kid that I was before. I just now was married and had kids. And so I realized, huh, like, you actually have to change who you are to be what you need to be for uh, the situation which, in which life, you know, makes these demands upon you and if, if it's going to be good and successful. The same thing happens to us. It's like, you know, we get, we get born again, but, but that's just the beginning, right? So when you're born again, when you're saved, when you become a child of God, you're still a baby. And as a, we all know with all these babies around, it's like, what do they know? Nothing right? So you're starting from nothing. And God doesn't just like zap us with some magical abilities. It's like, no, you're starting all over again. And 
just like life is hard and it forces you through tough situations to build your character and your discipline and who you need to be for life, God does the same thing with Yeshua, with Philip here. He says, this he said to prove him because he already knew what he was going to do. You know, so, which is kind of the same thing like a parent does, right? You, you, you ask the kid questions. You don't just tell him everything because then what? The kid, you know, the kid just doesn't think for themselves. So you got to put them in a situation where they will rationalize through and they have to struggle a little bit uh, so that they can grow. So Yeshua is helping his disciples grow. So keep going here. And Philip answered and said, 200 penny worth of bread isn't sufficient for them. We're in verse 7. That every one of them, John chapter 6, if you guys, that's where we are. Uh, that every one of them may take a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon's, uh, Simon Peter's brother, said unto him, <laughs> which I, There's a lad here, which hath five barley loaves and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? So, you know, you got Simon Peter, he pipes in, you know. I don't know, which I always find interesting. It's like, uh, he's talking to Philip, but then this guy pipes in. It's like, why are you piping in? What's a, you know, I don't know. He just, you know how you get that annoying guy that always has to add his two cents? <laughs> you know, I'm like, I wonder if Peter was that guy. I mean, you're just like, why can't you shut up? You know, but these types of people tend to put themselves into situations where then, you know, it's like when you're, uh, we, Koi and I and Daniel went to cop camp and, uh, in those types of situations where it was, you know, it's a very kind of military, like you went to boot camp, boot camp like situation. What do you want to do in those situations? You want to blend in. You don't want to be that guy that stands out. But there's inevitably one guy who can't shut up, you know, and you're just like, what is the matter with you? So I don't know. Maybe Peter was that one of those guys. So he, he and then drags this poor kid up and he's got his five, five barley loaves and his two fishes. But he's like, what are they among so many? So, uh, and I'm not going to get into, there's, there's a whole bajillion, like all kinds of fantiful, wonderful, amazing things that the barley and the loaves and it all means. And I'm not going to get into any of that today. It's just, we're taking it, we're taking it all at face value. So Yeshua said, make the men sit down. Now there was much grass in that place. Verse 10. So the men sat down and numbered about 5,000. And Yeshua took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed it to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise uh, of the fishes, as much as they would. And when they were fulfilled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Uh, therefore they gathered them together, and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above them that had eaten. Uh, then those men, when they had seen the miracles that Yeshua did, said, this is, of a this is of a truth that the prophet that should come into the world. So they see what he does, and they believe that he is uh, that prophet that should come into the world, which is the Messiah, which Moses talks about. He, Moses says back in the Tanakh, you know, there will come one after me that is uh, greater than me. And so he prophesied of you, the coming of Yeshua. So, uh, but yeah, like I said, there's a whole bunch of, you know, nitty gritty, interesting, uh, I don't want to say theories, but, but um, whatever. Uh, it speaks to greater significance that they gathered the 12 baskets after everybody had eaten and the 5,000 people. And you can explore that rabbit hole if you want to. Um, 
So, but anyway, they notice that, you know, they see that, you know, who, who, who does this? You know, who can feed 5,000 people, you know, 5,000 men with five barley loaves? You know, it's pretty, pretty amazing. So they think he's a prophet. Uh, so 15 is what it, what's interesting is continuing on. When Yeshua therefore perceived that they would come and take him by force and make him a king, he departed again unto the mountain himself alone. So I find that interesting. One, they recognize that he is basically, he's the Messiah. Well, what's the Messiah supposed to do? What does is, what is Judaism even today say? He's going to rule and reign as king and he'll gather in the exiles, right? And so they want to take him because they recognize who and what he is and they want to make him a king by force. But Yeshua hides himself because it wasn't time yet. It wasn't time for him to come, sit on the throne, rule and reign. Why? Because the people were still a mess. The people weren't ready. It wasn't time yet. The exiles still had to be gathered in. The gospel, the good news, the word of God had to go forth throughout all lands and all nations. And so you can't build a kingdom without your people because that's what the people is. It's a, it's a, it's, or what a kingdom is. It's a people in a land. Otherwise, you're just a monarch sitting there in your own lonely house. Yeah, that doesn't matter. <laughs> all right, so... Uh, 16. So he goes to the mountain alone, verse 16. And when even was come, was now come, his disciples went down into the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea to Capernaum. And it was dark and Yeshua was not come to them. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about five and twenty or thirty furlongs, they see Yeshua walking on the sea and drawing on into the ship. And they were afraid. But he said unto them, It's I, be not afraid. <laughs> Then they willingly received him into the ship, and immediately the ship was at land, whither they went. So it's like, you know, they get in this boat, they're rowing along, it kicks up a, quite a chop, which if you've ever rowed in an open boat in choppy water, it's a little, it's, it's a little scary, because like one bad wave and your, your boat swamps and you go down. So, uh, and it's night on top of it. And then all of a sudden there's Yeshua, he's just walking, just walking on the water, you know, next to him. And, uh, and so he gets in the boat and then they're, you know, uh, energized, you know, beamed to land all of a sudden. So, you know, just pretty crazy stuff. Pretty interesting. Um, 22 and the day following when the people, uh, which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was none other boat there, save the one whereinto his disciples were entered and that Yeshua was not with his disciples in the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone. Howbeit, there came other boats from Tiberias, nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, after that the Lord had given thanks. And when the people therefore saw that Yeshua was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping, came to Capernaum, looking for, seeking for Yeshua. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? And Yeshua said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, ye seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled." Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. So he basically says, look, you're not, you're not actually here because you, you saw the miracles and you believe that I am the Messiah and that you, you know, that anything's actually changed in you. You're here because you just want, you want another meal. And so there's a difference between Someone who, um, you know, is at the same, same, 
sees the same thing but has a different reaction inside. And the, uh, that's the, only, the only person that can see that is God, is Yeshua, and knows what's going on because you know, they're the same crowd of people following him. And that's what he's going to start to get into here. He's going to kind of start to say things and talk about things that um, are a little challenging. And if, if there isn't a real heartfelt change within them, it's going to be too much for them to, to swallow, pun intended, and they'll, they'll, they'll end up thinking he's crazy, basically. So it's interesting, I find, that he kind of where he goes with all of this because he, he does this miracle with the bread and the, and the fish and they just want the food. And so he says in 27, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but the meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. So he's saying, and, and this is where he's going to get into talking about how his word, the word of God is that manna which came down from heaven is the bread of life. That which, because what did the manna do in the wilderness? It kept them alive. There wasn't any food. And so God rained manna down from heaven. Where does the word of God come from? It comes from heaven and it keeps you alive in this life. It keeps you uh, from being, uh, from, from death, which, which death biblically is not what we tend to think of like, you know, the cartoon with the X's over the eyes and the guy laying there. Like, Death biblically means separation. So it's when they, when Adam and Eve, you said, you know, eating, you will surely die. That's why they got kicked out of the garden. They got separated from God, and eventually they would be separated from life in, in physical death. But that, that was what that death meant. Because I always thought, like, well, they ate the fruit and they didn't die, you know, because they didn't immediately die. But what did happen? They were separated from God because death, Hebraically, biblically speaking, is a separation. So, um, so that's why these words, that which comes from God, which made everything and sustains everything, when you consume His word, that's what keeps you, keeps you alive, keeps you with Him. 28, Then they said unto Him, What shall we do that we might see the works of God? And Yeshua said unto them, this is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. So that's a fascinating thing right there, he, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. Uh, this guy, I like to listen to, Koi knows who I'm talking about, uh, on a podcast. He, somebody at, he's, he's not saved, he's not a believer, um, but someone asked him, because, but, but, so he's, he's not saved, he's not a believer, but he talks about God a lot, talks about the Bible a lot. And so people ask him, you know, do you believe in God? And he doesn't just give a straightforward answer on that because he recognizes the weight of what it means to say that you believe in God. Like, what, what does it really mean when you say you believe something? Do you just shoot those words out of your mouth? You know, anybody can say anything, but that doesn't mean anything unless it's backed up by any sort of actions and credibility and change in your life. And so to say that you believe in God, to say that you believe in Yeshua, should mean that your entire life is now built around a new foundational structure which motivates everything in which you do and controls you with a religious fervor, for lack of a better term. So... So he doesn't say that he believes in God because I think he knows deep down inside he doesn't. 
believe in God. Because if he did, it would have to change him. And he doesn't want to change. Because he knows the cost, right? Whosoever will follow me, let him uh, count the cost. I'm like, yeah, take him his cross. I'm butchering two different passages, but, you know, let him count the cost. There's a cost, but there's a benefit. But, you know, there's a separation either way. There's a death, right? There's a death to the old man, to your flesh, to yourself, to you, your motivations, your desires, the life you want to live, the things you want to do, places you want to go, the way you want to spend your money, whatever. Or, or now living a new life, being born again, being a new child, living in a new family with new instructions that lead you in this new direction following Yeshua, following your new father. So there's a cost either way. Uh, and so, so they say, so he tells them, he's like, you're not actually my followers because you just want food in your belly to fill your temporal existence right now. You don't actually want, you don't actually believe because it hasn't caused any real change. And, and that's going to get even further fleshed out as we go through this because he's going he's gonna to back him into a corner <laughs> a little bit. So... 29, Yeshua answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. So, talking about himself, that they would believe in him. So, then, immediately, they, so they say, So they said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou that we may see and believe thee? What dost thou work? So they want to see a sign. They want to see some miracle that proves his existence, his, his messiahship, proves who and what he is. Uh... 31, our fathers did eat man in the desert, as it, is, uh, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Yeshua answered and said to them, Verily, verily I say unto you, Moses gave, uh, gave you not that bread from heaven, but my, heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. So he's starting to kind of use what their example is against them, so to speak. Because they're saying, you know, how come, what, what sign are you going to show us? Like, Sure, you, you fed the people over there, but Moses, you know, are you greater than Moses? Moses fed the people. And he says, well, no, actually, my father fed, gave you the bread from heaven, not Moses. Uh, for the bread of God, where are we, Father, true bread from heaven. 33, for the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. So he's starting to talk about the word and the bread of life and and he who comes down to save so so himself for the bread of god is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world 34 then they said unto him lord evermore give us this bread and so Yeshua said to them i am the bread of life and he that cometh to me shall never hunger and he that believeth on me shall never thirst so again talking about this idea of death and separation because life with God is a new existence and and life in God you are fulfilled and you are fed through him it's it's separated separate from earthly existence where you need bread and you need physical water uh 36 but I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not 37 all that the father giveth me shall come to me and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. So he's kind of now starting to talk to them about 
you know, those who believe in him, those who come to him, he won't cast them out, i.e. kind of saying, you guys might want to start wondering and thinking if you're those who actually believe, believe me or not. 38, for I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all things he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up against at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. So that's the resurrection, because when you become born again, there is a, the seed of the word of God in you, but this body, fleshly body, cannot inherit incorruptible things. It cannot go to heaven, so to speak. He has to give you a new body, a new perfect body. That's why when you die, you're separated from your body, and then... He'll raise us up in the last day. 41. The Jews murmured at him because he said, I'm the bread which came down from heaven. They're like, what in the world? What, what is he talking about? Because why? They don't believe. They don't understand. Because the prophets prophesied, saying, hearing they will not hear, seeing they will not see. And I'm butchering it more. But basically, they, they, uh, if they're not my, my people, they're not going to hear and they're not going to understand me. If they are, they'll understand what I say. Because they can perceive it. They have ears to hear and eyes to see. So it's, I don't know, I find that so fascinating. But, and it's it, on first uh, uh, surface level read of the, those phrases, it's, it's confusing. And you're like, what? I don't, you know, I don't understand that. But it's kind of like, picture it this way on, on, on just a re regular surface level. You got two families. Oftentimes, Families will speak in idioms or codes or little phrases that they use that they only understand because they live together, they speak together, they see each other act, they know each other intimately. But someone on the outside doesn't understand all those little nuances because they're not in, in the in crowd. You know, they're not in with that family to know what in the world they're talking about, the inside jokes. You know, that's what people say, oh, it's an inside joke. You know, you wouldn't understand. Uh, so that's kind of what he's saying here. So, so they're murmuring at him. They're like, what, what do you mean you're, you're this bread that came down from heaven? 42, and they said, is this not Yeshua, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I came down from heaven? Yeshua therefore answered and said unto them, murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me. So he's going to explain to them why they don't understand. No man can come to me except the father which hath sent me draw him. And I will raise him up at the last day, as it's written in the prophets. And they shall be all taught of God. Every man, therefore, that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. So hearing, you know, this, it's more than just audibly hearing. You know, that's why we say Shema Yisrael. You know, hear, O Israel. It doesn't mean just to, you know, it, it hit the, the sound hitting your eardrum. It's that you take these teachings in and then react accordingly to them. 46. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believes on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that every man may eat thereof and not die. So he's saying, uh, and he's going to explain 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eateth this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread which I give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of this world. So he's saying, 
He's given this illustration that as the manna, as those who God had pulled out of Egypt and saved, and then he fed them with bread that came from heaven in the wilderness so that they could survive that journey through the wilderness, through life, he gave them this bread. So he is the word of God made flesh come down from heaven to give them life so that they may survive the wilderness journey of life that he's given for the world to all those who believe. 52, the Jews therefore strove among themselves because they're not understanding. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? And then Yeshua said unto them, which I love how he doesn't, it's kind of like some political leader that you might know of, right? These days, uh, he'll say something and then just double down on exactly what he just said. (laughs) Whether you even like him or not. But anyways, I find it funny. So he he doesn't be like, all right, let me, let me try to explain this to you poor suckers, you know, and I'll, uh, I, I wasn't clear enough. It's my fault. No, he doesn't say that. He's like, why? Because he knows their hearts. He knows they don't believe. And so he's like, fine, you, you want to keep going this way? Let me. I will help you along the way. So he says, I'm the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat the bread, 51, he shall live forever in the bread which I give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. So they strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us this flesh to eat? Then you shall say unto them, Verily, very I say unto you, Except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you shall have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. My flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth this bread shall live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So he's just really, just lays it out there and and doubles down on exactly what he's saying and how they, they have to fully partake of who and what he is into their own lives and consume that word of God, him, God himself, so that they can be transformed, you know. And we have to do the same thing. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. I mean, to... to that's why they were part of the reason why they were so upset or they were getting all rankled about this was because in the Torah, your your cannibalism is forbidden. You're not supposed to eat blood and you certainly don't eat people. So they're thinking this guy is a nut job. Like what in the world is he talking about? But he doesn't like what I love is he doesn't bother to stop and explain being like, no, guys, you're missing that. I'm giving you a a um, an allegory. Is that right? Metaphor. I mean, this is metaphor. I'm trying to explain a deeper concept to you here, and you're just missing it. Because it's so wrapped in layers of meaning and depth, uh, because, because he is God himself come, come down from heaven, and because his word, he made everything, it's all connected. You can't, that's why the Bible uh, throws a lot of Western thinking minded people off because we like to arrange things with a periodic table of elements and all these cute little boxes. Like there's a box and that's that element and that element never touches that element over there. 
That's not how the Bible is. The Bible is this intertwining, it's, it's like a circle. It's all connected and it all touches everything all the time. And so, you know, there's just a million lines of connection. And so they, because what had happened, and you need to understand this point, what had happened to rabbinic Judaism of the day, and it's no different today and, and probably way worse, is they were Hellenized. They had been influenced by heavily by the Greek, by the Babylonians, because they were in the Babylonian captivity. And so they picked up a lot of pagan thought processes, a lot of pagan observances. That's why even the biblical calendar, you'll see it today and it'll be like the month of Tammuz, the month of, those are all Babylonian names. Like that's, that's not in the Bible. And so the, the idea that I had understood or thought when I was earlier, not that long ago, you know, was that these were, these people that Yeshua was railing on typified the Torah, the Old Testament. Like, I couldn't have put words to that, but they were keeping the Torah, right? They were living out everything that the Old Testament told you to do. Wrong. They had completely demented it. They had taken some of it. They had reinterpreted it through all the influence, cultural influence of the Babylonian exile, as well as the Greek and now the Roman occupation, as well as their own corrupt hearts and minds wanting to have power and leadership. And so their interpretation and understanding of the scriptures was as messed up as, in many ways, Catholicism or Christianity is today. So understand that. That's why Yeshua gets so worked up with them and why they seem to be so far apart when they talk to each other. So it's really important. All right, continuing on. So, because of that separation, this is what happens. 60. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can hear it? In other words, who can, who can bear this? Who can accept it? 61. When Yeshua knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said unto them, Does this offend you? What? And if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before. So if this, what I'm saying, is, is, is offending you, and then the Son of Man ascends up where he was before, what are you going to do? 63. It's the spirit that quicketh. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. So, he, he, again, he just doubles down, and then he throws another layer onto it. The spirit quicketh is this spirit, this unseen energy, which is God's word. It's pure energy from heaven. And, they, and so his words, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Yeshua knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore I said unto you that no man can come unto me except it's given unto him of the Father. And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. I think there's a... a I don't know. I think, I think it would be surprising to, off, to, to us. Maybe it shouldn't be surprising how many, how many people there are. might be people in leadership. People I know, pers- I've known personally. I had a, I had a, a close, close friend 
who, prior even to the Messianic movement, he led a church, pastored a church, then got into the Messianic movement, was very heavily involved in the the Messianic movement, uh, ended up denying Yeshua. Walking around. He's not saved. You know. So, I'm sure the people sitting under him, and as he was pastor of their church, never once thought, this guy's not saved and is going to hell. You know, I don't know. How do you wrap your mind around this? It's ridiculous. It's crazy. But Yeshua knew from the beginning, there are some of you that believe not. So we don't know. We, we, we can't see where the seed is. When you look at a plant, where's the seed? It's in the dirt. You can't see if the seed's there or not. You can judge roughly from what's growing on top of that seed. But, you know, plants are pretty good at looking like other plants and producing similar fruit. That's why you should use the parable of the wheat and the tares. They can't, you can't distinguish. You can't pull them up. You can't separate them until the end when the wheat bear a lot of fruit. They start to lay down. And what do the weeds do? Weeds stick straight up, you know. And so then you can differentiate. So, no one can come to the Father except we're, come unto me, except it were given to him of the Father. You know, his words are spirit and they are life. And so a lot of them leave. And so, and so really interesting. So, 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then Yeshua said unto the twelve, will ye also go away? So, So here's the guy that just can't keep his mouth shut again. But it's beautiful. Then Simon Peter answered and said to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. He recognizes that there's something coming out of this man, this guy, that that transcends the natural realm. And it gives life. It's, it's, It's pure energy. It's kind of like when you, the only thing I can, I can conceptualize of how to like, what, what do you compare it to? Or that feeling, feeling's not even the right word, but if you have ever listened to like a piece of music with whatever, I don't care what the genre is, but you put headphones on and you listen to it and it's pure communicative energy that you can't put into words, but it just touches your the fiber of who you are. If you're not into music, I don't know how to relate that to you. But, you know, that is what Yeshua is. He is the words, he has the words of eternal life. That which can give, give life. You know, I say, you know, he's the only one. 69, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Messiah the Son of the living God. And she said unto them, Have not I chosen you twelve, and one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon, for he it was that should betray him, being one of the twelve. So even in and amongst the twelve, you know, there's one that would betray him, one that didn't believe. So I think it's a, a worthy warning to us on, amongst all the other amazing things that he talks about in here, uh, to, to be a skeptic. You know, uh, I don't know if you, any of you guys ever watched X-Files, but Mulder's kind of sane or thing. And he, I think he even had it on Zippo or something. Trust no one, because you never know who's, 
He's a double agent, you know, working for the man. Uh, not that we shouldn't trust anyone. That's not my point. But you know what I mean? Like, we need to be wise. We need to have discernment. We need to have um, clear heads. And, and the only way that happens is, is by, like what you, Peter just said, is you have to stay close to that barometer, that indicator, which is the words of life, which is Yeshua, which is God, which is this book. It's, it's, it's the only thing we have from God that gives us any sort of direction, barometer, gauge, wisdom, knowledge, something to compare everything in the insanity of this life and this world to. Like you get into the world and the culture and it's just an, an interlocking web of insanity. Everywhere you go. Everywhere you go. And so it's the only thing that, that is pure. It's the only thing that, that makes sense. It's the only thing that is of God and from God. And so if we can start to mash it into our minds and meld it into our hearts and meditate on it and then view life in the world through its lens, it will shine a light on our path so that we can walk as we should. But there's a cost with that. So count the cost. Anyway, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this word. I thank you for this day. I thank you for uh, all that you do for us and provide us for us. I thank you that you have not left us without hope and that you have been with us as a small, set-apart, holy place in every generation, wherever we may be scattered. And I just ask that you would gather us from that scattered place, bring us unto you spiritually and physically, that we might serve you in truth, um, and uh, that you would just uh, continue to uh, work out your will in our lives, and that others would come to know and trust and see you or who you are, and uh, would be redeemed. So I just thank you for all these things, and uh, give us a good rest of Shabbat in Yeshua's name. I pray, Amen. Mighty warriors arise, yeah. Freedom does lie only away. For soon is the day when we see your face on the mount of your grave.